Welcome to the newest chapter of On the Brink. We have a bit of news today, not a topic, actual news, but different than what you've been hearing. This is, we're not going to talk about Donald Trump at all, I don't think, today. We're going to concentrate on New York State news. And the, the two panelists that I brought on to do this talk are uniquely qualified. One is Fred Lebrun, who has been re reporting or columnizing about the Capitol District Wow, since I can remember, you were at the old Albany Knickerbocker News with me, Fred. That's when we first came into contact. You know what Correct. you're doing here. And we have Andrew Waite. He is an Albany native, but uh, more new to the column business. He works for the Gazette out of Schenectady. Welcome, Andrew Waite. And um, okay, so this is free flow. These guys both know way more than I do. Uh, I'm going to start, though. I would like to talk about our governor, Kathy Hochul. I'm not enamored of her. And I thought I would be the first female uh, governor. I am a feminist. I thought she'd be great. I didn't like that Andrew got kicked out for being uh, disgusting to women. And I thought this would be a breath of fresh air. I, I don't have that same opinion right now. In fact, I've even been known to say I might vote for Andrew over her. Um, what is your view, uh, Fred LeBron? Let's start with you on the best thing that Kathy Hochul has done and the worst thing since she's been in office. Well, then, first of all, I have to slap your wrist. Don't you ever vote for Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> Period. There are a thousand good reasons why he should never be back in politics again. So uh, uh, that's something else. But yes, uh, Kathy Hochul has been a disappointment. I think she's failed to um, gauge the public properly. She seems to have a pension for the donor class, just, just as Andrew did. Uh, and I don't see that she has gained much ground with public sentiment. In fact, she is continuing, well, she's the last Siena poll, she has a little bit of a boost. Um, she is no longer lower than whale shit, but very close. And, uh, <laughs> as far as popularity is concerned and deserves that because she is yeah. she has a problem with listening to the public and and having a a good ear for what the public cares about uh, and right now among other things it's the perception not necessarily the reality but the perception of public safety problems so i will leave it at, let andrew get in the, in the uh frame. yeah I, I i guess i i guess i disagree uh this is who she is. She's a moderate Democrat from uh, from Erie County, and she now is actually in a position that I think in a fiscal climate that suits her well. She gets to be a governor who can kind of hold the line on fiscal spending. There's not going to be as much pressure from progressives to uh, institute some sort of sweeping uh, spending plan from there. She gets to say, I'm going to hold 15% reserves in the state budget, etc., and so I think it's fair that she doesn't necessarily have a landmark uh, accomplishment uh, and, and housing, I think, is what she is trying trying to do. That would be the, the big uh, the big win she's hoping to get. And she has a scaled back version that she's looking at this year, focused specifically on New York City rather than statewide. But I also don't think she has uh, landmark knocks against her. I know there's the Buffalo Bills Stadium, and that's probably the the, the, the biggest uh, criticism mm -hmm. That's been leveled against her. And I think that that's fair. I think a lot of New Yorkers don't support that stadium. And especially with uh, her husband's ties to the vendors, I think all of that is 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 troubling, but it doesn't rise to 
any level of um, of alarm. And I think that that's sort of where New Yorkers are. Is there's not really a ton of reason to think about Governor Kathy Hochul on a day to day basis. And maybe after Cuomo, we're we're in a, we're in a place where that's kind of okay. Somebody who can hold the line and and um, you know is, is is willing to give olive branches to progressives on issues like abortion. And I think she's doing well with that, but doesn't have the pressure on her to produce these kind well, of landmark. Yeah. I have to disagree about uh, giving her a pass on that. It is never acceptable to be boring in New York State, uh, (laughs) which is essentially what you're saying, and be governor. Um, You can be a crazy person. You can be off the wall. Look at Elliot Spitzer, just by way of example. Um, But even uh, aw shucks uh, George Elmer Pataki uh, was able to break out of being boring and it's almost a kiss of death if you don't rise above mediocre. You have to at least have a perception of yourself as being exceptional because this is New York and we expect more of that. This well, is not Kansas. Fred, you're, you're talking about campaign style, her as a politician. And I think I want to hear about her as a governor, as someone involved in governance. And that's my those are my issues with her. Uh, Andrew, I agree. I think that stadium is the worst deal ever made, aside from the corruption involved of her husband's uh, being a, being part of that that whole deal. It's just a lousy, stupid deal. And and we're on the hook for it. That money could have gone for a whole lot of other things. I well, think it I, came from the Senate. Indians, though, uh, Rosemary. You know, I'll split the hair on this, Solomon-esque. I agree with you on the corruption. I agree that the perception of it, the look of it uh, is just horrible. But giving, throwing money at projects like the Buffalo Bills is legendary for New York State. We've done it with the Mets. We did it with the Yankees. We did it with the Giants. In fact, we lost to the Giants to the Meadowlands. And that was one of the stupidest things we ever did. They're the New Jersey Giants. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's part of the the um, the trademark of New York is that we have sporting teams now. I'm not a huge supporter of the particular idea, but I can see its benefit. It carries the state of New York. It carries the brand. And mm-hmm. yeah, the way she did it was stupid. Last minute, the optics were horrible. The last minute uh, uh, deal that she made. And she twisted the money out of the Seneca Indians. And to this day, they are not recovered from that. They don't like it one right. little bit. Right. So there are lots of things wrong. But you know, governance, governance and politics in New York have always been intertwined. It's not just Andrew Cuomo has done that. I think every governor has done that. So you can't really separate one from the other. You're listening to Fred LeBron, longtime commentator about uh, politics in New York and in the Capital District for the Times Union. We also have Andrew Waite, who is a columnist for the Gazette in Schenectady. Um, if we're going to talk about politicking, though, and Andrew, you can address this, uh, her handling of a Supreme Court nomination in New York was also ridiculous. Uh, she had uh, Democrats on her side should have been on her side and they were not because of the way she handled it. I can't say that's great politicking. Well, yeah, you're talking about hand. Hand. Uh, go ahead, Andrew. I don't mean to step on you. Go, go to it. <laughs> no, you're, you're talking about Hector LaSalle last year. I am. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, yeah, I, I would, I mean, but, but again, if that's, that's what we're looking at is Buffalo bills. And then there was the controversy over, over the judge nomination. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know why she necessarily uh, went to bat uh, for the judge there. Um, 
but but again, these the, it, it feels like we're trying to to make controversies uh, and, and manufacture controversies rather than focus on focus on governing and focusing on what the realities are of the current uh, of the of the current current governing climate. So okay, so how do you think? How do you feel about her the budget she's just submitted? Well, again, I mean, it's it's we are in we are in a tight situation where there's not not the, the uh, influx of federal funds that we've seen. So I I, I think that th- she's not in a position where she where she is able to spend freely. And as I said, I think I think that suits her well. Um, I mean, I think the, the the biggest conversation or one of the bigger conversations coming out of it has to do with foundation aid and school funding. And I don't think it's terrible to re-examine that formula and to say maybe there are some districts that have lost population and therefore don't need to continue to get the same funding that they've always gotten. I think during her presentation, she talked about it used to be a peanut butter approach where you kind of spread it, spread it evenly across the bread. And now it's a look where it, it, it will be you know, tweaked here and tweaked there and the districts in need are going to get more. And that means that some districts that are, are not in, in need in the same way are not going to get the same level of funding that they used to. But to me, that's kind of a realistic approach. And that's, that's, that's an approach that is saying, let, let's, in, in this tight funding climate in particular, let's allocate the funds where they are, where there's the most need. And of course, you're going to get political resistance from people in those districts who obviously don't want funding to go down there, um, to go down in those districts. But I, I, I don't think having a nuanced approach um, is, is, necessarily, is necessarily wrong. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay but with... But yeah. it's political suicide uh, and always has been because you are asking rich districts to support poor districts and get nothing in return for it. And as a result of that, you have a political nightmare for, for the governor. The governor is, is making missteps politically across the board. And I think with Foundation A, it's very, it's very complicated. Uh, and and yeah, fundamentally, I agree with you, Andrew. Though the, the, where there's need, there should be response. But who provides that need and at whose cost is is the political issue? And it, it's very complicated, and there has to be a dialogue. And that's why, tra- typically or traditionally, rather, when we had a Republican Senate acting as a as a balance to the Democratic Assembly, it was much easier. But now it's two factions. It's uh, the progressives versus the moderate Democrats. It's this. We're always looking for a way to make divisions so we can argue with each other. That's very important in New York. Yeah, in New York. You're right. You guys are putting me in the position of being the woman who's going to bash the female governor. And I hate that. But you're being far too kind to her, I think. I I blame Hochul for at least a part of the debacle over uh, drawing the lines the election lines and the redistricting, the Democrats sent her uh, a very flawed plan and she went along with it rather than putting her foot down at a time when she was new and had some influence. Um, She got into a big fight with the Supreme Court over gun legislation. I don't know if that's improved. And transparency, which she promised from the first day. Oh, yes, we would have a great freedom of information law. Yes, I'll tell you everything. She has been under constant criticism for being the same as Andrew Cuomo on that. So yes, she has. Well, That's absolutely well, correct. Yeah. This is no, Fred, no Fred LeBron from the Times Union. You you uh you you think that criticism is valid, Fred? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And transparency is one of her big weak points. Um 
Uh, absolutely. And also, uh, I think she has not, again, I, I have to say, she has not really um, made a mark for herself as someone who can broker upstate and downstate. Uh, True. And, and that's a critical element of governing the state. You were talking about governance. There are two states. There is downstate and there is upstate. And she's from upstate, but sometimes you wouldn't know that. Except for the Buffalo Stadium. Well, that's a, a notable exception, yeah. especially since she had a, a kind of a, a familiar uh, <laughs> connection to that connection deal. there. Yeah, exactly. uh, Andrew, I mean, you, I'm, you for, I'm, go ahead. Andrew I'm, Wade well, from I'm, the I'm, Gazette and Schenectady. <laughs> On guns, she won. No, I mean, so the that the the law is allowed to stand. So I I don't I don't uh, I wouldn't fault that. I think I think a lot of New Yorkers would agree with uh, with, with the position of of establishing sensitive places and trying to limit access to uh, concealed carry. Um, I mean, I agree that she has not she has not had any sort of statement win and. I think part of that is the way she came into office, obviously unexpectedly, took yes. some time to get feet feet on the ground, um, you know, and just understanding kind of the machination things when being in the executive office. So I think it is understandable that it, that there has been this kind of learning period, and now, really, truly, this is the year. If you look at now, she's not going into an election year. She's not coming off a close election where she nearly lost to a, an election denier. Uh, so she she is able to to set the agenda this year. And I'm kind of okay if it is someone who is willing to have the dialogue. And I feel like the foundation aid conversation th that is what's being proposed here. I mean, she's, mm -hmm. she's she has proposed changes to to foundation aid. And of course, there's been this immediate resistance, but it's not like she is saying this is set set in stone. Set in stone. Um, so, mm -hmm. so I, I guess I'm I'm okay with that. And I think we are very early into the year in which she is finally able to set the agenda. And so we don't truly know um, what what kind of legacy she's going to end up having. But I also think she's true. She's being true to who she is as 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 a moderate Democrat uh, who is trying to, as you said, navigate this this pretty tough dynamic of uh, uh, New York City progressives and, you know, what is essentially um, Ohio in upstate yeah. New York, right? So Ohio in upstate New York, that puts it well. We are going to take a break here and we'll be back with more about uh, Governor Hochul and the state of New York State with uh, columnists Fred Lebrun and Andrew Waite. On the Brink is brought to you by the Donna Frank team of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, Blake Realtors. Uh, I am really proud of this sponsor. The team is led by my friend, Donna Federico, who is a specialist in luxury property. She's got like 18 years experience in real estate. Uh, her team sets annual sales records. They are the best, they're experts. So I'm telling you, if you, if you care right now or are interested in the future to buy, sell, invest, or just check out real estate, uh, write down this address. D-O-N-A-F-E-D, DonnaFed at gmail.com. Or you can go to the uh, Berkshire Hathaway Blake Realtors.com. 
Hey, I just got done ordering two really gorgeous coffee mugs from Peacock Hots Pottery. Um, this is a founding sponsor of the podcast, and I just love their stuff. Honestly, it has nothing to do with their sponsoring us. Um, it's all the work of owner Ona Papa Giorgio, who I've discovered is an engineer by trade. And she's managed to combine the precision of her engineering background with the prettiness of her artistic disposition. And I think you are going to like their stuff as much as I do. Check it out at PeacockPots.com. Okay, we left with columnist Fred LeBrun kind of stuttering to get in a response on. Um... Well, you know, it's it's. It, it, <laughs> I, I love I love Andrew's point about uh, about the um, how Kathy Hochul came to be. You know, there is absolutely no scenario other than the one that she lived through that makes her a governor. She is an accidental governor in every which way. There is no way she would have been pulled out of a pack out in Western New York at any level, except right. as the lieutenant That's governor succeeding in a, a disgraced governor. So she has to establish herself a little more than the average individual that she belongs there. And I'm not sure she does. I don't think well, she necessarily has the gravitas to be governor. I mean, to Andrew? that point, well, to that point, so much in politics is a reaction, right? I mean, Donald Trump comes from Obama, et cetera. And her her ascendancy to the governorship was a reaction to tumult, to bombast. So in many ways, her her approach, which I also think is genuine to who she is, is a reaction to the, the previous uh, the previous governor and what we're used to in New York State. So. Again, I'm not. I'm not sure that um, maybe. I, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying about a governor has to establish uh, who 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 he or she wants to be. And I just think that we are still living through that moment with Governor Hochul, and that part of the, her first mm -hmm. few years were that reaction to the bombast and being this steady kind of this steady kind of figure who wasn't going to ruffle feathers. Okay, I'm. Oh, go ahead. I wanted I wanted to jump in again, Fred, with, no, a, with another it. question. Uh, why can't I buy pot in New York State? Oh, yeah. Uh, my boomer friends are still going to, to Massachusetts. What's the problem? That's yeah, a good question. Andrew, disaster. you answer that question. Total disaster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and of course, the, the, the lawsuits against, you know, I mean, that that stalled the the. Um, stalled the rollout here and maybe it, that I think there should have been a lot more that was thought through with um, who who was going to be able to receive these retail licenses and, and what uh, what would come of that and maybe should have been able to foresee uh, there would have been legal action taken against uh, the plan to have it be people with prior convictions. Um, and I think that that's probably been the, the biggest reason that it stalled out is, is the lawsuits uh, in response to that. Can you, so, can yeah, you explain, Andrew, can you explain that a little to our listeners here? I'm not going to know what you mean when you talk about the lawsuit about. Uh, oh, sure. Just that there was. Right. There was a priority given to people who had prior uh, drug convictions to be able to access the first uh, retail dispensary licenses. And then there were um, uh, a lawsuit was filed by someone who, who wanted to uh, open 
a a shop i i believe um and you know and basically saying that they were they were not having the the right to do that and so but yeah yeah i haven't yeah to, to me know, to they, me this goes back to the lasalle um and i think i said court supreme court the court of appeals judge appointment it's the same thing it, it was no preparation she went ahead without talking to allies governance it's just not there fred well First on the cannabis, I'm not convinced the state of New York was really 100% behind the legalization. And the dragging of the heels is not by accident. It mm -hmm. is, there are lots of internal factors, including the big money behind the legalization. And there are, there is a lot of big money. Um, the wholesale liquor distributors, for example, are way, way behind, believe it or not, the cannabis problem. Um, there are so many aspects that I think are lost to us, uh, but fundamentally, if the state of New York wanted to have legal cannabis shops running now, I mean, how many years are we into it? It's right. crazy. Uh, and, and, and the simple situation of, um, growing six or eight plants or whatever you want in your backyard, people do that now anyway. What the hell? Let's just do it. Right. Um, right. It, it, but unless there are there's law enforcement involved. There's a lot of other people who just don't really want us to get into the legal pot business, no matter how much they say they do. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're talking out of both sides of their mouths. Mm -hmm. um, and now getting back to the LaSalle thing, because you've mentioned it before, you know, the irony here is um, Kathy Hochul lucked into exactly the right decision at the end of the day because what we have now is the best chance of unseating a Republican House of Representatives that we would not have had, if I'm, I'm guessing, it's purely a guess, if Hector LaSalle had been, up, and he, by the way, was a, the reason he was, his nomination was put forward, and I've talked to a lot of judges about this, he was eminently qualified. Mm -hmm. There was no reason why he should not have been mm -hmm. a judge, except he comes from the conservative side of the ledger. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, the progressives did not want that to happen. And there was a that's a continuation of the Cuomo Wars. And if they had uh, gone along with the governor and put in LaSalle, I'm pretty sure he would have voted down. He'd have been the deciding factor in not letting redistricting go again. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. I had I had not considered. So, that. you know, if. This is New York. You got to watch the cue ball going every second because <laughs> it's a three or four ball shot. So it's, it's a good point. To me, it was always like, how incompetent can you be if you can't get a nomination through when your party is in charge? But um, I, I do see that oh, point. Yeah, but party is in charge is in name only. Yeah. How many parties are there called Democrats in the state of New York? <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I mean, I think all of that was to figure out where the balance is between appealing to progressives and and not. And I think we have seen Hochul move to the right since then. And I mean, if you look at her commitment in this budget to not raise taxes, she was asked twice about that and she doubled down on that. And that's where she is. And I, and I think, um, I, I, I think she is right. Figure, figuring out it, where, yeah, just, just the balance of, of that. And of, I think we're now sitting. It. 
Yeah. Andrew, wait, if you got to be a kingmaker and you could make any person you want, any politician in New York you know of, the governor, who would that be? I mean, I'm a fan of Delgado, but that's maybe a Schenectady answer. <laughs> um, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with him. I, I think that he, I mean, he's, he, yeah, he's, he's a true, he's an upstate guy um, and super smart. Uh, so I, I think he has a bright future. I, I, that might be where I would where I would this come is, down. This is Anthony Delgado that Andrew is talking about, a former congressman, now the lieutenant governor. Doing a good job as lieutenant governor? What does lieutenant governor do? Yeah, I mean, that's right. It's a hard, it's a hard position. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one one at position. a time here. Yeah, it is a hard position. And I, you know, questions on why he took it and what he's doing there. How about you, Fred? You're kingmaker. You can make anyone you want that you know of. Uh, governor, who would it be? No, I'm not going to play that because. Uh, <laughs> you I, have to. It's my show. I know it's your show, but I won't do that. Uh, I love to see people think they they want to be governor and I, as i am watching people who want to be president and i want to see what they are like under the pressure of the of trying to be that that usually tells us so much more than we think we know about them now uh, i want to see tom swazi down in Long Island, ah, for example a- on whether he makes it on the 13th of february because that key that key race Right now, would almost give Democrats a majority in the House. Things That's are right. falling crazy in, in Washington at the moment. So it's 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 of the moment. And someone like Swazi, who was not successful in trying to unseat um, Hochul, uh, and and right, and right. that's fine. But that was a different time, a different situation. Um, he's a pretty good guy. I like the idea of a centrist. So I'm for Hochul in that regard. Um, hmm. But uh, I don't see anybody right now that really appeals to me very much. I, I would have said at an earlier time, maybe Letitia James, but I, I actually thought her handling of the Cuomo case was was flawed. She did have a personal interest in that. And her charge that uh, this was this was a crime that he could have been charged with. No prosecutor agreed with her. So I don't know. I'm a little I'm a little concerned about her. But I, I like the idea of a woman governor, just not this one. Well, you know, there, there <laughs> are so many things you can say about Cuomo because it comes back to that. Uh, there is no way that he's going to be allowed back in willingly into the political process because he burned so many bridges and he right. offended so many people. The whole political establishment wants him to go straight to hell and stay there. Uh, so, and for and for a good cause, I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's not deserved. Uh, he's one of the most arrogant people I think I've ever met. Period, in or out of government. Not that that's about, necessarily a bad thing. How about we how get about, uh, a- AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez up here? No, oh, I think not. Andrew, that's interesting. Well, I you don't, know, give her 20 years and see where she is then, and yeah. maybe. Um, she, she's real years. popular upstate. She's way popular <laughs> upstate, yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. But look at Andrew. Right, exactly. Andrew lost every election upstate. That's true. That's true. He didn't need upstate, did he? We, we have to move on and talk about uh, one of the... There's several, but uh, one big problem in New York, which is um, migrants. And um, we are becoming the dumping point from southern states who want to get rid of the problem. And we've not done a good job coordinating with the 
the governor and mayors or the governor, mayors and the president. Uh, talk to me a bit about how you see this issue. Uh, Andrew, let's start with you and then then I'll call Fred in. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I always think about with this issue is we it's important to keep perspective and that we are we're talking about 200,000 people in a state of 20 million people. And I think that that does get overblown. And if we're talking about a two hundred thirty three billion dollar state budget, the funding allocated is two point four billion for migrant support. And I think we should resist some of true. I mean, truly some of what what the out what the outcry is about is coming from national Republican politics from Trump on down. And so I think that we need to be cautious in how we're talking about this issue and whether it truly is an immediate crisis or a crisis that um, stands to kind of blow up into a bigger crisis. And for instance, I've done, you know, so in Rotterdam at the Super 8, there's 230 some migrants there. I've done a fair bit of reporting uh, on them. And in the Mahanasan's uh, school district, they, they've welcomed uh, about 70 uh, students, students from 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 that. And I talked to the superintendent there and he said, yeah, there was a learning curve with staff to, because we've never had an influx of this many non-native English students uh, before, but we've adjusted pretty well. They're now in our clubs on sports teams. Uh, there's not this, uh, there are not people beating down the door of uh, school board meetings saying that this is uh, ruining our school district, etc. And the same thing when they, when they first arrived in July, there were um, pretty contentious town board meetings where people were calling them criminals, were calling them, um, somebody compared it to 9-11, whatever that means, as if it was going to be a huge invasion. <laughs> and lo and behold, Rotterdam has, Rotterdam police has yet to make an arrest uh, related to anyone from from the Super 8 there. So I think that some of this, a, a lot of it is overblown. And I, I do think that long-term, we obviously need to, to figure out a solution to it. And I think that, that starts honestly at the federal level of, of figuring out a way to expedite work permits and get people working. Um, and, and I mean, somebody brought up to me Utica, which is a great example, which is a Rust Belt town that welcomed refugees from Bosnia in the 90s and has continued to do so. And now you have a community that uh, is, I mean, that's that's sort of helped remake that community. And I think that we need that attitude more than a resistance. Uh, and if, 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 if the migrants who are here now are able to work, all of a sudden they become taxpayers, et cetera. And so I'm, a, I'm of the mindset that let's figure out a way to how to better integrate than, um, than stress out about out. the problem. Yeah. yeah. Fred, Fred LeBron, how about you? What do you think of this? Oh, I, th I love what Andrew just said. And I want to thank you because I'm not on the street reporting anymore. And the stuff he says about Rotterdam, I'm so heartened by that because I know initially there were there were all kinds of protests at the, at the town board meetings and so on and people passing out leaflets. and But that was they were reacting again more to the national Republican line than they were to the reality on the street around them. And it is working out and playing out in an entirely different way, as it is in the city of New York, incidentally. It's mm -hmm. not just upstate. Uh, we're an immigrant state. I hate to keep bringing this up. I'm the son. My father was French, French national, became an American citizen. My mother never became an American citizen. She was a Canadian national. And that was in the 20th century. They came to this country. But everyone I know has antecedents that come back from one wave or another of the Irish in the 1840s and so on, or the Germans. Oh, my God, three or four migrations through. In the city of Albany, there were more German-speaking newspapers in English in the middle of the 19th century. So 
we've lived with this over. And of course, they were despised by the people that came in just before them. They mm -hmm. had to prove themselves. This is a continuous process. We're not seeing anything new here. Yeah, my my more a little more organized in our thinking and a little more compassionate in my view. We have to take a break and we're going to be back with some closing uh, comments and topics in just a minute. If you are looking for a venue for a family reunion, a corporate gathering, a wedding, I've got a place for you. It's in the woods of Bennington, Vermont. It's a fabulous old house, sleeps up to 12. It was built by this uh, weird kind of genius. He's got fireplaces and, and a hot tub and a sauna. You can tell I've been here. My favorite thing is probably the pirate ship in the sandbox in the backyard. It's fabulous. It's called Karen's Place. And during these dreary, wintry months, you can get it for a discount. Um, it's worth looking at, worth checking out. Um, the proprietor is a friend of mine, Jenny Dewar, and you can find out more at www.karensplacebt.com. Karen, let me tell you, spelled K-A-R-I-N-S. We get lots of comments, all good, about the music we play leading in and leading out of the show and in between the segments. All of it is composed by my friend, composer David Keckley. If you like the music, if you want to see more of what he's done, hear it, you can go to pinevalleypressalloneword.com. That's based in Williamstown, Massachusetts. We are speaking uh, and on the brink with two uh, capital district area colonists who keep an eye on state government, Fred Lebrun from the Times Union and Andrew Waite from the Gazette in Schenectady. We're talking about migrants. I think you wanted to make a last point, uh, Andrew, before I cut you off rudely. Oh, I was just going to say, and oh, by the way, we're talking about out migration a lot in this state. And here's a, here are several, you know, here are people who want to come in. And I get that uh, migrants coming in, the jobs, they're not going to work. It's not going to replace millionaires leaving. And I know that that's some of the worry. But still, I mean, if we're talking about population law, I don't know why there's so much resistance to an influx of population. OK, I have a, a, a different question, and that is uh, also on out-migration. There seems to be a debate about what the source of that is. There, no one is uh, questioning that there is an outflow of people. I, I, I'm doing this uh, taping from Florida, so I think weather plays a part. I hate it in upstate New York, even though I'm a native, uh, but also the cost of housing. Uh, the cost of taxes. Is it one or the other? Are they related? Is there a way we can make sense of this? Fred? Well, oh, yeah. oh, go sorry. ahead, Andrew, please. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Andrew. So I, I think that if we look at the aging population, we have the, the boomers are at retirement age, right? I mean, and, and older. But when we when the pandemic hit, there were a ton of people who were close to retirement 
uh, or and and I think I think it changed a lot of people's decision making, and maybe they retired a few a few years earlier. Um, and, and so, whoops, I'm getting a call, and that's messing me up. So, if, if someone making that decision, of course, reti retirement in in Florida in southern states uh, makes makes a lot of sense. Yes, for the weather, but then also it's true for if you're going the the taxing on withdrawing from retirement counts accounts is going to uh, work out in your favor if you establish residency in Florida. Um, but I, I do think that that was part of the the bump of uh, out migration that we saw post pandemic was people actually retiring uh, and then and then the nature of work and people not wanting to live in cities. And we saw that a lot of the out migration from New York City was really just to the Hudson Valley or to neighboring communities. And if you look at uh, big cities around the Northeast, Boston, Philadelphia, D.C., they all lost population in the pandemic. And, and a lot of and a lot of that was because of, uh, I mean, not wanting to live in a crowded mm -hmm. space, but also the changed nature of work, et cetera. We've seen New York City's population start to come back. And in places like the Capital District, it's actually been a mixed bag on, on uh, population trends over recent years, with some counties seeing an influx and some uh, seeing a decrease. So I, I don't think there is a, a clear, um, there's ne not necessarily a clear narrative here. And, and the story's not yet over. Aha. Uh -huh. So you disagree with me that we all agree there is out migration. That's interesting. <laughs> well, no, I agree that it's happened. Of course. Of course, yeah, the numbers but, show that it's happened. Yeah. How important it is. Uh, Fred, how. How about you? How, how does this strike you? Is this something well, new? Well, yeah, I agree. I disagree with you, too, uh, across the board. Rosemary, if you don't like the snow, what the hell are you doing uh, coming from up, up here? I love it here. And I love the uh, snow and I love the cold. Bear in mind, my mother was from Upper Quebec. And uh, for me, this is down south. Uh, but to Andrew's point, I think that uh, we have to be far more nuanced in looking at what out migration really is from New York. Is are they leaving New York or are they going somewhere else for one? Also, there's a history of almost the American uh, dream is the ability to have the uh, to go anywhere in the country for opportunity. And it always comes back to that. Opportunity is a huge word with a lot of financial implications and of others. But if there were more opportunities in New York, perhaps more people would stay here. Um, job opportunities, uh, housing opportunities, you name it. Um, I don't think taxes is that bad. The, the taxes are that bad here. They're not crazy. You know, yes, we mm -hmm. have a state income tax and some states like Vermont does not and Florida does not. But you go down in Florida, you're in Florida right now. Look at all your intangible taxes in Florida. They're just mm -hmm. as bad uh, at the end of the day as, as the uh, state income tax. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and the flood and spend just as much money. That flood insurance in Florida is eventually going to uh, drive up uh, the amount of money that people are going to have to pay, whether that's a tax True. or buying into an insurance system or whatever it is. But yeah, the insurance is a mess here. All right, I have a closing question. We're we're running out of time. I, I could I could keep this going, but um, I have to chide you guys. I guess I'm included too, Andrew. You're much younger than us, but our thinking here is really antediluvian. We're saying, hold on, Delgado. Let's see what you got. AOC, give you 20 years. Uh, isn't this how we ended up with two octogenarians running, two old white guys running for the presidency that we make young, talented politicians wait? <laughs> young, talented politicians. No. Uh <laughs> Fred is just shaking his head. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Look, uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump are where they are, not because other people just backed away and let them get there. 
it, it is American politics is king of the heap. And they got where they are by doing whatever they had to do to get there. No, nothing. No one gave them those the positions of being uh, the two, the two octogenarians. Old lions. Old lions is what you're talking about. Well, maneless lions. Yeah, right. Uh, (laughs) And yes, but I'm a little like the business about out migration. I'm a little leery about the latest polls that say, oh, Americans are just fed up with these two old guys sparring with each other. I don't see there's there's any great big movement for any of the young lions uh, coming up to transcend at the moment. Even Gavin Newsom doesn't seem to be quite ready for the job just yet to be the Democratic. uh, And is Nikki Haley really what we want in this country? I don't know about that. I don't think so. (laughs) Um, Not in New York in any any rate. Andrew, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, and with Biden and with with Trump, even in 2016, there were plenty of people who were in the ring and had an opportunity to do it. And, and they and they weren't selected, including Kamala Harris against Joe Biden. I mean, so you, you can name any number of people who have uh, had that high profile, had a chance. And for whatever reason, uh, the uh, people coalesced around where we are. And I and I agree there's uh, frustration with that. But I, I also think um We've lived through some unsteady times, and um, I, I, I think, you know, I, I think I, this kind of steadier, uh, less exciting path is is maybe okay for uh, what we've lived through uh, as as the world coming out of the pandemic here, and and with Trump politics too. So. I want to thank columnists Fred LeBron and Andrew Wade for uh, uh, giving us their time and their expertise. And because it's my show and we're running out of time, I'm going to steal the last word from them, which is, I don't know, guys. I think that uh, we are not giving uh, enough attention and support to young politicians with new ideas, even at the same time that we say, oh, the new generation, they'll fix all these problems we have, like gun control and and uh, and migrants. So I, I think we are to blame. And we they we do all them more than we've given them. But thank you, and um, we'll see you soon on on the brink again. I hope. Thank you.